Thank you for finding the Motel Americana podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please consider helping it to continue running by clicking the support link at motelamericanapodcast.com or by finding us on Patreon. If you're already familiar with the podcast, you'll know that these stories are based upon the writings of Oscar Garrett, a kid who lived at the Motel Americana in the 1980s and who bugged the rooms. The audio surveillance footage that Oscar captured clearly served as the source material for his semi-fictional writings, and those writings serve as the source material for the audio drama that's presented here. Wherever possible, I have and will continue to intercut the actual surveillance audio that Oscar's bugs captured into the narrative. This is the case of the present episode. A full account of my encounter with Oscar and how I came into possession of his writings and audio footage can be found in episodes 1 and 2. If you haven't listened to those yet, I do suggest you start there, though it's not entirely necessary as most of the tales are self-contained. This also is the case for the present episode. Though it does appear that one of the men heard on the tapes makes a tangential reference to one Lloyd Farberware, a man who was prominently featured in the story Oscar called The Knee. For the morbidly curious, you can find The Knee in episode 6. Now, with that out of the way, I'm pleased to share with you American Society by Oscar Garrett. The scorched spine of the summer's last heat wave snapped over the Motel Americana as the sun set, but the parking lot was still hot enough to fry a liver. Somehow it had fallen to Scalisi to show the kid Morelli the ropes. In room 36, he told him, Harry Johnson, Harry Wang, just Wang, the little soldier, Willie, Captain Winky, one-eyed monster. Yeah, that's always been my go-to, when I want to get a laugh, you know. What happened to your face, Scales? You look like you've seen a ghost. You look like maybe you are a ghost. I'm getting to that. Rule number one, don't interrupt me. There's the old standby cock, that's an obvious one, but he gives me the, get this, the genealogy of it, this fucking guy. Says Roosters is known for getting up in the morning, wink, wink, like I'm in on some big fucking secret with him. Meaning Roosters are cocks. In the morning. Cock-a-doodle-doo, yeah. Speak in the morning, you got your morning wood. That's another one he rattled off. Uh, let's see. Uh, summer Sausage, The Wild Bologna Pony. Stretching now. Stretching. I wish. He's just getting started, the little prick. Yeah, that's a common one, sure. Yeah. No, that's what I'm calling him, as in this little prick's just getting started. But yeah, he goes on. The head that thinks for me, bacon bazooka. Never heard of that one. There you go. Just wait, this guy's a fucking dictionary. Scalise pulled from his vest pocket a small notebook. Yeah, dick. A dick thesaurus. A dickosaurus. Like a dinosaur. A smart one. Soon to be extinct, I'm thinking, smart or not. Him, you mean? What? Whether he's smart or not. Not you smart, about to make him extinct. You're getting wise, too? No, boss. Scales thumbed through the notebook and read from its pages. Package, unit, tool. Dick, just like we said. Dick, please. Sure, there's Dick, but check this out. Francisco, he tells me how he's got an angle on that one, too. Says he's always preferred the wittier Little Richard. Long Tall Sally. Tootie Fruity. Was he? He was. I mean, right? What? Little Fruity. Little Richard? Christ, stop distracting me. You just like him. Little Richard? Francisco, goddammit, focus. Scales cleared some of the white film from around his eyes, making two flesh saucers in his face. He put on a pair of reading glasses and, thumbing through the small notebook again, said... Power drill, jackhammer, 
pork sword, dork, knob, tube steak, <laughs> gurgle snuff. And what are you doing during this uh, soliloquy? Waiting for him to run out. I, I always give a guy the last words. You know that. I honor those last words because I am a man of honor. And these are his words, so I wait. I take notes. I can think of a few he left out. Wiener. Frankfurt. Okay, I see you're hungry. Jack in the box. Scales gave this serious consideration. It worked in his book, so he wrote it down. It's a good one. You're a quick learner. Not like that last guy I had. Believe me. Caught a bullet in the eye, not listening to what I had to teach him. Franken beans. Noodle. Okay, okay. Magic wand, cooch cork, disco stick. It's endless. But he knows I know he's stolen. And we both know that all these dicks of his are just grains of sand through the hourglass. Awful dolphin. Volkswagen. Rubber game. Hose, joystick, salamander. I'm thinking he ain't gonna run out. Uh Uh-huh, sure. Schmeckle, Costa Chaka. But eventually, of course, he does run out. Love muscle, rumblefish. I see he's thinking, but that's it. Can't come up with nothing else. Anteater, bonus schnitzel, falsetto. I can tell. Just like that, fresh out. Ice cream cone, trousers schnauzer, Carl Rover. That's enough. Stop it, will ya? And he finally says, well, don't you get it? Get what? That's what I said. Get what? Well? What's in a name? What's in a name? That's what I said. I tell him it's a question, sounds like, but not when he wants an answer, though. Rhetorical. That's what he said. Rhetorical. I tell him to just get down to brass tacks. The brass monkey. Shut up. Then he tells me, get this, a thing is a thing no matter what you call it. But given it so many names, that's just a Needlemeyer's way of trying to make a thing bigger than it really is, see? Profounding this guy. He says, calling something a million different things is just a desperate attempt to make something little a little more, to raise it up. So to speak, up the, you know, the flagpole. Then he says to me, Americans, they got the Irish curse, even if they're Italian like me. Morelli considered this gravely. Hmm. That's true? Yeah. And he asked me if I think any of this means anything about American society, like, in general. Does it? Lots of dicks walking the streets, he means, maybe? At least how I think it. He doesn't agree. He tells me, the lady doth protest too much. What lady? That's what I said. What fucking lady? Then he tells me, he says, I must feel pretty fucking special because I got more names for me than Eskimos got for snow and they're buried in the shit. Meaning what exactly? Meaning he's saying I got a small dick, fancy like. Scalisi gave Morelli a minute for that to settle in. That's pretty good for a pork and beaner like Francisco. Big build up for a crack like that. Yeah, pretty good. I thought so. Especially considering it's the last thing the guy's gonna get a chance to say on the planet. I tell him alright, you had your words, you ready? And he tells me, wait, just one more thing, he says. But Jimmy Scales didn't finish his story just then because the motel room door burst open. A behemoth of a man charged in. A man Scales and Morelli knew only as the giant. They'd seen him in action only once, but once was enough for them to know it was best not to utter a single word in his presence. The giant scanned the room for something or someone, and seeing that what he was looking for was obviously not there, the giant approached Scales and, with a finger the girth of which was approximately that of a zucchini, made a track in the white substance of Scales' cheek. The giant rubbed the material between thumb and forefinger and sniffed at it. A hint of a smirk almost materialized on the giant's lips before he stormed out of the room again. 
head with toast. Where is he? Where's Francisco? What do you think I was trying to tell you? I don't know. I thought maybe you had him duct taped in the tub. Scal shook his head slowly. Oh God, oh God. That's the same guy from Frankie's in Newark. Scalise nodded, gravely. They were both present when the giant ripped the voice box out of little Petey's throat right there on top of the bar. <coughs> Nothing we could do now, kid, except take what's coming. Keep your chin up. Rule number one, take what you got coming like a man. Oh God, oh God, and the French guy. He's worse, I heard. Thought he was Austrian. Uh, was it Corsican? Corsican? Uh, that's worse than French. The giant reappeared, moving back into the room with the force of a tornado. Silhouetted in the doorframe behind him was the Corsican Frenchman known as Cotard. The man who had recently hired Scales and Morelli to track down and deliver in a vat of ice, dead or alive, the dick-spewing rat of a prick Francisco. Scalisi and Morelli both opened their mouths to plea, bargain, and beg. Extracted voice boxes be damned, but they had no time to mount defenses. The giant made a great X in the air before them with two forearms like ham hocks, then unsprung them as if on a hairpin outward in opposite directions. The giant fist connected with Scales and Morelli's heads simultaneously. When they came to, sometime later they were sitting in the wooden chairs before a table of carefully laid out cooking ingredients, a cutting board, and an induction burner gurgling with hot oil in a pan. Cotard was a myth in America because he was a legend in Europe. He'd only recently surfaced in New Jersey and was evidently running an operation, the ultimate objective of which was wholly unknown but nonetheless the object of much speculation and conjecture in Morelli and Scalisi's circles. Cotard wore a lab coat, welder goggles, and a toque blanche. He or someone close to him had painted a Fu Manchu mustache on his face with children's paint, and when he spoke, it was with an accent of indeterminate origin which, as Scales and Morelli evinced, was also the source of much speculation. The giant stood in the corner of the room, arms folded across a great expanse of chest. Cotard stared at the men before him, utterly disgusted. Then, he spoke. I brought you here to talk about art, gentlemen. Sir, we're sorry. We know nothing about no art. This art, you swine! This art transcends the confines of emotion. It is beyond human understanding, motives, enjoyment, and entertainment. It is an art that cannot be comprehended. It is unable to be sensed by mere human perception. Gentlemen, I brought you here today because you are fucking with my art. Kotar rounded the table, stood in front of Morelli and Scalisi, kneeled down to eye level, and with dead eye aim, spit in each of their faces in turn. Are you gentlemen hungry? Scalisi and Morelli looked around the room, unsure how to answer that question. The giant cracked his knuckles, prompting Scalisi and Morelli to nod pathetically. Cotard then cracked two eggs into a bowl, added a dash of cinnamon, and began mixing the concoction with a gold-plated fork. I brought you here to talk about this art that cannot be talked about, but it's pointless. You are postmodern at best. Pastiche, maybe, a little Scarface, a little Godfather. Pathetic, really. If you had any ingenuity 
whatsoever, any artistry, you would mix in some Elton John, Irving Berlin. Gangsters imitating gangsters imitating gangsters. Not worth the weight of your own Sumalekra. Sir, please. Please, shut up. I can't bear the thought of listening to you. Understanding you would dismantle synapses. I have constructed the way an ant builds the inner workings of an anthill. My inner workings, in fact, have been compared to the Sistine Chapel. I have listened to Cage 4 minutes 33 seconds over 10,000 times. What have you done 10,000 times? Cotard heaped breadcrumbs onto a flat pen, added a dash of salt. Don't answer that. At least with Francisco. At least he's a man with taste. He could swish a mouthful of wine in his mouth and spit it out for what it was. Ha! Do you know what it is? A mouthful of wine? Of course not, you heathen. You would sniff it because you saw somebody sniff it. Francisco, meanwhile, would order such wine just to spit it out. To refuse it. He is a man, Francisco. He would refuse even the finest pork tenderloin. Cotard spread fine flour across a plate. New Jersey, indeed. You disgust me. I am now physically ill. I feel as if I may have just now developed a rare form of cancer. You are good only to kill me and increase the price of my art. Without turning to look back at the giant, Cotard said, Henri, we need a volunteer to taste. The giant approached the two men and Morelli immediately began blubbering. It, it, it wasn't me. It, it was Scales. It was him. It, I, I had nothing to you do with it. sucking cocksucker. He got here before I did. I was late. Okay, I admit it. I, I got tied up with my spiritual advisor. It's true. I was late. But that's all. Whatever happened to Francisco, wherever he went, I don't know. I swear. Scales let him get away. Before you came, he gave me some long-winded explanation about how Francisco knows about dicks and then... Shh. Silence prevailed. The giant looked at Cotard, who nodded at Morelli. No, 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 not me. I just ask Scales. He'll tell you what I'm saying is truth because, because he's a man of honor. He'll own up to it like a man. The giant grabbed Morelli's wrist and brought the hand to the table, dragging the flailing man behind it. Flour, then egg, crumbs last. Scales watched as egg, flour, and crumbs were chaotically applied to his apprentice's hand. Two minutes, please, Henri. A light fry. This need not be fattening. The giant delivered Morelli's hand to the induction burner and submerged it in the pan of hot oil. <gasps> Morelli howled for mercy. No, 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 Scales no, no, looked away. Cotard said a small oh egg time. Natural juices, they no, simply no, burn no, up please, in the oil. Please, no, no, Mr. Cotard, no, 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 please, no, for the love of my mama, for the love of my state, please, no, oh, God, no, oh, God. Morelli lost consciousness. Scales and Cotard listened to the sound of the sizzling flesh. Ah, much better. As Morelli continued to fry, Cotard sharpened the butcher's knife. He said to Scalisi, You see, my little Philistine, my art is sacred. And when a pair of grimy New Jerseyans fuck with it, well, there is a lost book of the Bible since I have your attention. A Gnostic gospel. Jesus sees a stone in the desert. He blesses it and leaves it. 
camel, mistaking it for dung, kicks it, and it kills a princess who would have married Christ. Since your interpretive powers are thin as the slight prosciutto your grandmother's worshipped, this is just to say that you are the camels who ruined everything. Time is currently my biggest problem, and Francisco was to be in hand three days ago. And what have I? Nothing. If he can't marinate properly, it's no good to me. Cotard raised a hand to his mouth and kissed his fingers before flinging them outward. Oof. You can kiss the flavor goodbye. That should do, Henri. Al dente, please. The giant extracted Morelli from the oil and slammed the hand down onto a cutting board. Cotard patted it carefully with a paper towel. To remove excess oil. Then he carefully sliced a thin sliver of meat from the heel of Morelli's thumb. He blew on the sliver to cool it. It looked to Scalisi like chicken thigh meat. I am not concerned with your merry little gang's current state of disarray, or even how you wound up with erectoplasm splattered all over your face. Frankly, I don't even care how Francisco got away from you. All I am concerned about is receiving the goods I paid for. So, I must warn you. If I don't receive them by dusk tomorrow, I will be forced to resort to unsavory means to achieve my ends. Cotard looked at the slice of Morelli quivering on the end of the fork. My art. Cotard then ate the meat, chewing with great zeal and satisfaction. Morelli, splayed unconscious on the floor, twitched as Cotard swallowed the thumb meat. As they were leaving, Cotard said to the giant, these New Jesseans, they're worse than the Americans. Scalisi held a gun on Morelli and waited. Sometime later, when Morelli finally came to, Scales picked up where he left off. So Francisco says, you better answer the door. And I say, why would I answer a door no one's knocking on? Then, what do you know? Just like that, it is knocking. So I'm careful, just like I was taught, just like I taught you to be. I look through the peephole, and there's Francisco's kid. I don't know his first name. Everyone just calls him Farberware. Like the dishes. Yeah, like the dishes. Even though I got a gun in my hand, it don't matter because this kid's tricky. As soon as I open the door, he sprays me in the face with a fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher? That's a good one. Yeah, good one. He sprays it in my eyes. That would explain Francisco stalling with his dicks. Also, that's the white shit all over your face. Uh-huh. And then this kid cracks me on the head with the butt of the fire extinguisher, and that's that. Next thing I know, you're shoving me awake. No, Francisco. And I try to tell you exactly what happened so you could learn from my mistakes, like I'm supposed to do, teaching you. Boss, I'm sorry. Rule number one. Never rat anyone out. Especially a guy who's trying to take you under his wing. I don't know what came over me. Like you said to the Frenchman. A Corsican. Corsican. I'm a man of honor. I know you are. I'm sorry, Jimmy. I panicked. So, Morelli, if you have anything you want to say, now's the time. You can have your last words and choke on them all I care. Morelli nodded, thought a minute, and then said, Dough. Red. Greenback. Cabbage. And Jimmy Scales pulled out his notebook and settled in.
Hey, thanks for listening, folks. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast half as much as I'm enjoying making it, then please consider supporting it by going to motelamericanapodcast.com and clicking support, or by searching for Motel Americana Podcast on Patreon. The process will take less than two minutes, and of course you can donate however much or little you're comfortable with, and every little bit helps. I can assure you that every cent that's donated goes directly to improving the quality of the show for you, the listener. It will help get the resources needed to improve the audio quality, expands the show's infrastructure and reach, as well as allow me to integrate Oscar's original audio surveillance recordings into the stories here. All said and done, it'll ensure that this podcast keeps running, and it'll make for a better audio experience for you, the listener, which is really what this is all about. So please, again, click the support button at motelamericanapodcast.com or search for the show on Patreon. Thanks for listening and for spending some time with me in the vast wilds of the Motel Americana. <laughs>